Hello and welcome to Season of the Bitch, the feminist podcast that's critical of people who are critical of critical race theory. Today we have Kellen, Jules, Zoe, and Laura. And today we are talking about the ongoing assault on quote unquote critical race theory, or really the ongoing effort to control and limit how history and the realities of racism are taught in U.S. classrooms. So obviously this has been in the news quite a bit lately, and we just kind of wanted to give a rundown on what's going on, why it matters, etc. Um, but I wanted to start by briefly explaining what critical race theory or CRT actually is, because I think there's a lot of confusion about that. And like, this is less so that you can fact check people who use it wrong. And cause like that accomplishes nothing. It doesn't matter to be like, um, actually Republican governor, that's not what critical race theory is. He's going to be like, fuck off. I don't care. Let me sign this bill. Like whatever. I want to talk about this because critical race theory is actually a really important and useful school of thought, and it is worth knowing about it. And I want to like give it its due as we're talking about this. So it's worth noting that like no kindergartner is learning CRT. Like there are all of these bills that are like prohibiting the teaching of critical race theory in like elementary schools. And it's like, I didn't learn critical race theory until I was a PhD student studying for my PhD qualifying exams. So it's like in 2017, I was like 25 years old. Um, so it is like a highly specific like um, school of thought. It has origins in the field of legal studies and specifically like critical legal theory. So this is like something that's like written and like theorized by a bunch of especially legal scholars, um, but also scholars in other related fields. And CRT is basically a takedown of the idea that law in the United States is neutral. So critical race theory illustrates the ways that rather than the legal system being apolitical, like rather than this idea that justice is blind, U.S. law is inherently racist at its core, that, that U.S. law in its you know, intentions in its history is informed by categories of race and is used to racist ends and has racist outcomes. Um, and if you're interested in this, if you're interested in learning more, um, I wanted to recommend this book called Critical Race Theory and Introduction, which is by Richard Delgado, who's sort of one of the foremost figures in the CRT, um, you know, world. Um, and he writes that there are basically four central tenets of critical race theory. The first is that racism is a quotidian experience for people of color in the United States and its ordinariness, the fact of sort of the everyday aspect of racism makes it difficult to combat in all but its most obvious forms. And so this means legally that um, it, in terms of the way that, that this plays out in the legal realm, that what appear to be race blind uh, laws are frequently not, but it's hard to fight them as racist when they're not things like Black people are not allowed to sit at the front of the bus, that sort of thing. The second basic tenet is that the system creates, in his words, both psychic and material advantages for whites. 
And that also makes it more difficult to counter because there are people who are really benefiting from the system who have a vested interest in not changing things. The third tenet is that race is a social construct um, and is not an inherent quality. This is um, a sort of anti-essentialism thesis that race is not an essential part of who a person is. It's also related to intersectionality, which we've talked about before, intersectionality um, as a concept, as sort of coined by Kimberly Crenshaw, who's also a, a CRT theorist, posits that people have intersecting sort of axes of oppression that, you know, a black woman experiences the world differently than a black man and differently than a white woman, because she sits at two intersecting axes of oppression. And this is all, again, relevant to critical race theory and the way that the law acts on people who are experiencing, again, different axes of oppression. And the final um, tenet of CRT is the voice of color thesis, which is that people with lived experience of prejudice bring unique and important analysis to the study of their experiences and the systems that affect them. So this is kind of what critical race theory is about. And there's a lot of really good, like it's, it's a really useful for, for thinking about the world. Um, I wanted to just draw one other quote from this book, which I think reflects on law and the supposed objectivity of the law. Obviously, listeners of our podcast know that the law is an inherently political construct. But Delgado writes, quote, objective truth, like merit, does not exist, at least in social science and politics. In these realms, truth is a social construct created to suit the purposes of the dominant group. And I think we'll really see that play out in that, you know, for example, the truth of what critical race theory is doesn't actually matter for the purposes of these laws. It is instead a fiction that is created to suit the purposes of the dominant group, again, in Delgado's words. So all of this, of course, is different from what Republicans mean when they talk about critical race theory. And when we hear about critical race theory in these bills, it tends to mean any examination of race or racism at all. And this means any histories of racism, and it certainly means the current realities of racism in the modern United States. We're trying to, we're not we, but many lawmakers are trying to criminalize these examinations of history and of the present in United States schools. It is wild. Like, I, I know what the tenets of CRT were, but like, to hear them read out in that way is like, really, like, I feel like it's in many ways like anyone who understands structural oppression, like mm -hmm. understanding like how these things are invisible to most people mm -hmm. and like why libs are are the enemy of the pod forever because <laughs> they're just like not paying attention to this thing. Um, anyway, it, that was like a really cool way, I feel like, to kind of not not cool because it sucks, yeah, but yeah. like, you know, interesting way to like lay out this kind of complicated thing that also these weird ass Republican people think that again, like you were saying, people are teaching to elementary school people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like, okay, we're trying to teach a child like what sound A makes. And yeah. we're also teaching them about the psychic and material advantages <laughs> that whiteness like conveys through the law. Right? Like that yeah. that makes that makes sense. Totally. Yep. Yeah, I also, like Kellen, learned CRT in grad school in, like, the public policy class I had to take. Um, anyway, 
but I'm sure I would have understood it when I was five. I was really smart. Um, and I said, <laughs> so I think now we're, we're going to talk about the ways that Republicans are trying to use CRT or whatever they think that means as a wedge issue for election purposes. I do need everyone at home to know that I did listen to some Fox news clips as my op research. So I guess you're welcome. Huh? You don't have to. Thank you. It was very brave of me, yeah. <laughs> but some of like the common arguments that I heard people making and granted, I did not listen to a ton because I started losing brain cells so quickly, but And as discussed, (laughs) I have to remain smart, but they were talking about how like, oh, CRT is racist and it's like not based in fact or science, which is like, LOL, when is Fox News ever fucking cared about that? But okay. It's fair and balanced, Zoe. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, But yeah, so CRT is like the newest manufactured wedge issue, which follows a really similar pattern that we've seen before where some sort of like cultural argument comes up and I'm going to talk about what that means in a minute, but it gets amplified by like mainstream news and then turns into these like political voting issues. And Jules is going to talk more in a minute about the details of the specific like culture war and how it came to be. But I also just wanted to explain quickly from like a Marxist feminist perspective, what the idea of like cultural harms mean um because they refer to like systems that can't be distilled down solely into economic or material harms in a marxist sense and this is what like marxist feminists kind of added on to the like original marx text so (laughs) the idea that there are cultural harms and there are material harms and it's not that there's no like material or economic element of other harms of course with like racism and sexism there's ways that that material impacts people, but merely having like a proletarian revolution, so to speak, would not end those things because they are like ingrained in culture in this way. Um, So I just thought that was important to understand because this idea of like culture wars comes up a lot between Republicans and Democrats and like, what the fuck are they talking about? But I think it's important to actually look at that with like the material lens that we have as Marxist feminists who are smart, let me tell you again, um, and (laughs) maybe more so what this would look like if like anyone in politics had material analysis. (sighs) Yes. Um, So we're going to talk a little bit about some specific bills. But before that, I just wanted to give a little bit of a general background of how we got to this point. Um, So it feels important to note that the impetus behind these bills really came out of a backlash to the summer 2020 uprisings in the wake of George Floyd's murder by the Minneapolis PD. Um, As folks, I'm sure remember, that was a time when we saw a lot of concepts that had previously been pretty taboo in mainstream U.S. politics, like police and prison abolition, come into the mainstream for sort of a brief time. Um, And it now sort of feels like we've moved past that moment in a lot of ways. But during that time, a lot of institutions, including educational institutions, started some type of like reckoning process around racism embedded in their organization and how they operated. I think, unfortunately, as we've discussed in other episodes, a lot of the more radical elements of this work were shut down pretty quickly, but right-wing groups were still able to kind of seize on the fact that this was happening at all as evidence that American society is being destroyed, which would be cool, but is nowhere near what is happening. Um, 
I think the most notable example that I wanted to talk about a little bit, because I think it um, is a good model for understanding what's happening with critical race theory as well, um, is the campaign goal and slogan, defund the police. Um, So, you know, this was something that was talked about widely during and after the summer of 2020, but no cities have completely defunded their police departments. Um, About 20 of the largest 50 U.S. cities reduced their police budget in some form in 2021. Um, But even still, this only resulted in an overall decrease of 5.2% to national police budgets, which is very small. And unfortunately, even those cities that made these slight police budget cuts often raised their police budgets back up for 2022. Um, In Minneapolis, for example, before George Floyd was killed, the police budget was about $193 million. In 2021, that was reduced to $180 million. So small decrease, but a decrease. But in 2022, it was raised back up to $191 million. So basically the same level that it was at to start out with. Um, And I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my former coworker, Fola Akinabe. He did some research on those numbers about different cities that were really helpful on being able to pull those. Um, So despite the fact that most cities have not really meaningfully decreased their police budget, if you Google the phrase defund the police or defund the police impact, you will find like, dozens of press releases from politicians that say things like, quote, demonizing and defunding police has consequences, end quote, and articles with headlines like defund the police encounters resistance as violent crime spikes and the predictable consequences of defund the police. And the subheader of that article is it took a spate of murders for the mayor of Oakland, California, to abandon the destructive slogan. So, Even though police departments have not been defunded at all, there is still an active backlash that's pretending this is a major thing that's happening when in reality it's not. Um, And I hope I don't need to say that obviously it would be a good thing to cut police department budgets. So these sources are also wrong about that. (laughs) I mean, yes, we should just get rid of them. But, um, you know, it's like even more evil that they're like pretending this is happening when it's not even happening. Yeah. They're like, we're Um, terrible at our jobs. um, And it's because of defund the police, which has not happened. It's literally just that they can't do what they're supposed to do. A couple departments took like a few bucks away from their police department. Definitely. (laughs) But so I, I bring that up. One, just to highlight the horrific police killings that have been the motivating factor for some educators to start thinking more critically about race, no pun intended, um, which I think is a good thing. But also, um, like I said, because I think that process is a good model for understanding what's going on with these critical race theory bills as well. So after the summer of 2020, A lot of schools and workplaces ran some type of diversity training or initiatives. Um, Much like defunding the police, these typically led to pretty small organizational changes or none, though in some cases they resulted in Black folks and other people of color feeling more empowered to speak up about workplace discrimination. They reduced the level of hostility towards Black and brown people in school and workplace environments and resulted in a few more people of color holding high-level positions in organizations. 
Um, which, you know, all of those are good things. I think they're not especially like radical or shocking, but, um, you know, obviously they are radical and shocking to many racists who could have seen that coming. So in September of 2020, Trump issued this order banning diversity training for federal employees um, and basically saying federal funding should not be used for this. Um, Anyone who has gone through a typical public sector diversity training will know how not at all challenging to the status quo most of these trainings are. (laughs) But Trump labeled them critical race theory, and his budget director wrote in a memo, quote, the president has directed me to ensure that federal agencies cease and desist from using taxpayer dollars to fund these divisive un-American propaganda training sessions. All agencies are directed to begin to identify all contracts or other agency spending related to any training on critical race theory, white privilege, or any other training or propaganda effort that teaches or suggests either one, that the United States is inherently a racist or evil country, or two, that any race or ethnicity is inherently racist or evil. In addition, all agencies should begin to identify all available avenues within the law to cancel any such contracts and or to divert federal dollars away from these un-American propaganda training sessions. Had to say un-American propaganda training sessions twice within that paragraph Uh, (laughs) (laughs) which is just like yeah but you i have a question y'all do you consider listening to season of the bitch an un-american propaganda training session absolutely yes well i reject the premise of what american (laughs) means like in theory for for what this context is yes i would say yes we are (laughs) Because we're disseminating information. Um, but because I don't believe in, in borders, I'm also like... Well, isn't that un-American, though? That's what I'm saying. I get, maybe it's even like anti- it's anti-American. But I'm yeah. American, and I feel that way, so like... Right, but you're against America as like a concept. Of course. Yeah, but so maybe it's, it's American to be that way. So what we're saying is it's an American anti-American. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're all American um, and we fucking hate this shit. I don't know. Yes. Obviously, in the context of all of this, yes. <laughs> but yes, in any case, um, Trump also publicly called out specifically the 1619 Project, which folks probably know was this New York Times project that had put out a lesson plan on teaching the history of U.S. slavery and anti-Black racism for students. And I think that specific move really foreshadowed this right-wing turn towards trying to prevent young people specifically from learning about racism. Yeah, like the 1619 Project has really been a lightning rod for this sort of thing. And like, I definitely have some sort of like methodological slash historical qualms with the 1619 project. But I think that overall it's a good thing. Like to teach people about this history is good. Even if like as a professional historian, there's some things that I think that they don't do super well. That doesn't matter. Like I'm not out here criticizing the 1619 project because the people criticizing the 1619 project are generally racist. Anyway, we discussed earlier what critical race theory is, and I think it's pretty clear that like the 1619 Project isn't that. It's just a history of race and racism and slavery in the United States that is geared towards a mass audience. But it got so much traction and attention that I think it really like 
it really like freaked people out, especially coupled with the context of the 2020 uprisings that Jules brought up. Um, And I think it's worth noting that at the very end of his presidency, Trump established what he called the 1776 Commission, the specific goal of which was to, quote, promote patriotic education, end quote. And it served as a literal direct answer to the 1619 Project. Um, And yeah, it's so fucking gross. And it's so funny because it was like a thing, like it existed for like a month and a half. Um, You know, obviously we're not fans of Joe Biden on this podcast, but to his credit, he did he did dissolve the commission the 1776 commission on like literally his first day in office so it doesn't exist anymore um but yeah no i totally agree jules like the 1619 project is like completely inextricable from the larger crt issue yeah absolutely so by early 2021 fox news and other even more fringe right-wing outlets had started frequently using the language of critical race theory specifically to describe post-summer 2020 anti-racism efforts. It sort of became the new cultural Marxism for a bit in that it also involved far-right people using academic terms they don't understand and or using those terms in an intentionally misleading way. Um, And Fox had been using this term before Trump's order, but it really ramped up after the order. There was this Media Matters investigation that found that Fox News used the words critical race theory over 1,900 times within just four months of 2021, which is wild. (sighs) Yeah. So I think it's also important to look at some of the key players in this. We love to expand our enemies list. Hell yes. (laughs) We are. So, (laughs) so Christopher Rufo fucking enemy of the pod and just like, Honestly, a very shitty journalist. You're bad at your job, sir. Um, Was a major player in talking about this on his platforms, including on Fox News. And he really helped to manufacture the culture war around it that we're talking about. And he talked about how he was intentionally, like Jules mentioned, rebranding CRT to drive up the negative perspectives and turn it toxic. He even said, quote, the goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think critical race theory. Um, that is what he has said. And this reminds me of it's extremely um, normal. About, yeah. We talked about similar things on the um, what was it called? Ro- um, cr- Christian conservative, the rise of the right. <laughs> what was it called? The, the religious right. <laughs> Yeah, what was that? Yeah, I think it was called? like Rise of the Religious Right. <laughs> okay, yeah, that episode. <laughs> um, but we talked similarly about how people on the right will knowingly say things that they know this isn't true. Their like followers don't necessarily, but like they know initially that the messages they are sending are not true. And that's not the point, right? Because it's effective for them. So another key player is Byron Donalds, and he is a Black Republican senator in Florida. Um, And the reason why his race is relevant is that it makes him kind of this perfect, like, poster child, poster senator for advocating against CRT, since, as we know, Republicans love a good, like, tokenization to get their point across. And so Donald's main argument is that while it is important to teach the, quote, full history of our country, and he'll talk about how 
you know, like the racist history is bad. But then he also talks about how teaching CRT further divides an already divided country. And so honestly, this is a very effective political strategy. I think we've talked about this on the podcast before. I know amongst the co-hosts, we've definitely talked about this off air. But when it comes down to like messaging and getting what they want, Republicans are a more successful political party. Um, yeah, just fucking fact. Democrats are absolutely useless, terrible at their jobs. Um, but critical race theory specifically is something that people take as a personal attack on their identities. And so part of why it is so effective at, um, becoming this wedge issue is that unlike other major political issues like taxes or foreign policy, which a lot of people don't personally identify with, a lot of white people feel that like, oh, The idea of CRT is like a personal attack against me as a white person, my culture. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So it really plays into these fears that were so wonderfully set up by the Trump presidency. Um, And so Christine Matthews, who was the or is currently the president of Bellwether Research and um, does public opinion pollsters says that there's evidence that Republican voters have been responding much more to culture issues than other types of issues. And so that's why this could really impact next year's uh, midterm election turnout. So this is something that Republicans are really going to be using to galvanize voters, and they already are. And one way that they're keeping it relevant in the media is by having these um, statewide legislation that aims at keeping the issue on people's mind and further galvanizing people. And so with that, we're going to explain there's so many bills, but we're going to just look into some of the bills and legislation that's currently happening. Yeah. So by the beginning of the summer of 2021, legislation limiting teaching about racism had been proposed in 22 states. So nearly half of all states and had been signed into law in five states, Idaho, Iowa, Oklahoma, Texas, and Tennessee. Um, Some of these bills call out critical race theory by name and others don't, but the end goal is the same. So right-wing think tanks also started to seize on this trend. In June of 2021, the Conservative Heritage Foundation drafted a piece of model legislation that they advised even more state lawmakers to use, which is called Protecting K-12 Students from Discrimination. That same month, a right-wing think tank headed by Trump's former budget director, who wrote that letter that I was reading from, also released similar model legislation. And the result of all that is that now the number of states that have proposed bills like this has basically doubled, and it's now at 41. So that's basically all. Just nine states and D.C. don't have legislation like this currently proposed. Um, And if you're interested, Education Week has a good tracker that we can link to where you can take a look at what's happening in your state. But with that, we're going to go into some of these specific bills and what they look like in different states. Yeah, so I wanted to look at my home state where I was educated in the amazing public education system of Pennsylvania. Um, <laughs> and they always have some uh, some great some great junk going on. Um, so in Pennsylvania, the status of this bill is that it's been proposed or is moving through state legislation. But the details are that in June of 2021, Representative Russ Diamond 
Republican introduced a bill that would limit how teachers can discuss racism and sexism and ban schools from hosting speakers or assigning books that advocate, quote, racist or sexist concepts. (laughs) So um, I think one thing that's important to note about this is how racist and sexist, in quote, concepts are um, tied together around a lot of these issues. And when we did an episode, I think a year or so ago, maybe two, um, called Race, Gender, and Fascism, that one I remember. (laughs) Um, But we, I think, gave a good explanation for like why these are things that fascists go after together in this way. Mm -hmm. And so just as people in the U.S. are trying to ban um, critical race theory, there's other countries with fascist leaders, such as Hungary, that have banned gender studies because it was, quote, not real and not based in fact, which is exactly what we're hearing about CRT. Mm -hmm. And personally, I'll just say that having fascists wanting to, like, legally ban what I'm studying makes me feel very cool. So... Um, You're doing something right. Exactly. I'm like, great. Love that for me. Um, they, <laughs> they can fucking try. That's <laughs> how I feel as well, Zoe. I'm just like, oh, well, not I don't do critical race theory, but I do what they think critical race theory is. <laughs> right. So like, cool, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So whatever. They can come for us. But, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's good to look at how these systems are like tied together mm-hmm. and like Helen talked about with what CRT is right is looking at intersecting areas of oppression as well mm-hmm. and so I also decided to look at what's happening in my current state I'm in Illinois now and so there were two bills introduced in February of 2022 that would prohibit schools from teaching certain concepts including that one race is superior to another that's never taught in schools or that individuals are inherently racist because of their race and one of these bills would allow parents to refuse any unit of instruction for their child and the other would require parents to opt in rather than opt out of comprehensive sex education for their children and so once again we're seeing issues related to gender and sexuality being included with these bills as well i think particularly that this one is also throwing in um, comprehensive sex ed as an option is very interesting and clear, just clear that whoever wrote this doesn't know what the fuck critical race theory is because what? Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, I just want to note that the Illinois bill takes issue with actually like what it says it takes issue with is the teaching of racial essentialism that quote, one race is superior to another or that individuals are inherently racist because of their race. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, one of the central tenets of CRT is anti-essentialism, that race is a social construct that isn't grounded in any biological reality, which like, of course means that there can't be any inherent racialized traits of goodness or badness. Like, Knowing that at the same time, like we know that while no one is like inherently racist by virtue of being white, like white babies aren't born knowing what race is, aren't born being racist, but white people, like all people in our system are indoctrinated into racism very early on. However, nuances like that are obviously not welcome in this particular discussion. And what I just said like would be considered I think like illegal based on this law illegal illegal (laughs) illegal um well we famously here at season of the bitch we love laws so (laughs) (laughs) 
famously, we are law respecters. If anyone's asking. If if anyone has ever, you know, thought that they've heard us say be gay do crime, you're you're mistaken. We haven't said that. We said be gay, eat lime. Um <laughs> limes tasty, are tasty. my favorite meal. Yummy, honestly. Yummy. <laughs> be gay, eat lime. We love laws. Anyway, continue, Laura. <laughs> um, so next we're gonna look at New Hampshire. I just kind of like randomly picked New Hampshire because A, I think that a lot of times people think these things are maybe like more prominent in the south or whatever um and also like new hampshire is a swing state and like Mm -hmm. important in like kind of primary shit like that um so in june 2021 republican governor chris sununu i think i'm saying that correctly but honestly i don't give a fuck chris enemy of the pod exactly um he signed a state budget bill that included language banning teachers from discussing race gender and other identity characteristics in certain ways in class a 2022 bill would repeal these bans but then a separate bill in the 2022 session would prohibit teachers from advocating socialism marxism or quote any doctrine or theory promoting a negative account or representation of the founding and history of the united states of america which like i really want us to think about this for a minute because first of all here's one of those prime examples of of if this shit was done in another country we would be like oh my god aren't you glad we live in america how messed up is this it's basically stalin but when it comes when it like happens in the united states we're just kind of like uh whatever And the we here is, like, everyday Americans, of course, right? Um, So as we know, like, after the Holocaust, one of the most important things that Germany did after those terrors was to not cover up or hide what had happened in that history so that it would never be repeated again. And in history, we learn all about shit that makes other nations seem really messed up. But again, can't teach anything that promotes a, quote, negative account or representation of the founding and history of the United States of America. But like the founding of this nation was literally a genocide followed by chattel slavery. So what are we fucking talking about? Yeah, it's also, I was just listening to, I don't know if anyone listens to the Scam Goddess podcast. I freaking love it. But the host um, is a black woman and she like talks about racism on the podcast a lot as well while talking about scams. But the episode I was listening to yesterday, um, she was like talking about how people are so invested in like the founders as like being so idolized. And it's like, it was just like a bunch of white dudes in a room. Like they weren't particularly like special (laughs) for any reason. Right. Like, not we on Season of the Bitch, but just, like, as a country, it's, like, but the founders, it's, like, no, they were just, like, some dudes in a room together. Like, it's not that fucking special. Um, I actually think we totally should um have their faces overlooking, (laughs) um, uh, like, what the fuck? I hate it. I hate it all. Yeah, I also just wanted to note that I think this bill is a good example of how all of this also gets wrapped up in like red scare tactics as well. Like teaching U.S. history as it actually happened, as Laura said, is like the same thing as socialism. Like, okay, first of all, I fucking wish, like, wish it were that easy. 
But secondly, like this is part of such a long history of the the far right trying to tar movements for racial equality, even the most basic like stuff, like just teaching the history of like Native American genocide with the stigma of communism. And it's just like, like, y'all, this is the oldest trick in like the fucking book, you know? I feel like there's some like absolutely fucked up irony to like the poster child of conservative and libs in uh, racial equity in the United States is Martin Luther King. And they're like, yes, Mm -hmm. we love him. But like, we're not going to talk about him being a socialist. (laughs) Yeah, but he was he was a sweet, peaceful man. Right. Exactly. Um, So I did want to talk about Florida because obviously we talked about Florida um, in the Be Gay Do Crime episode and um, Be Gay Eat Lime. Yes. And when, you know, any chance to talk about another enemy of the pod, a.k.a. Governor Ron DeSantis. We fucking hate you. We're coming Mm -hmm. for it's airy season. Honestly, like just watch out. Um, So in December 2021, this mother frickin' governor announced the Stop Wrongs Against Our Kids and Employees Act, or the Stop Woke Act. Kill me. Like, literally kill me. Yeah. Only if we can, like, murder Sui. Yeah. It's very, very bad. Stop Woke Act. Like, excuse me, I jump out a window. Anyway. It's just it, like, what if this is the whole reason they focused on kids? Because they just needed the K in woke. <laughs> exactly. Once again, I'll say it. Great marketing. <sighs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, the Republican Party knows what its base is, like, against. Yeah. And is just yeah. like, we're going to fucking play to that shit. Yeah. Anyway, this fucking act would prevent... K through 12 schools from using state funding to hire consultants that adhere to critical race theory um, in quotes because it's not that um, (laughs) and would give parents private right of action to sue if they believe their child were being taught the theory. (laughs) Which like are your children in grad school? Right. Two other bills proposed in January 2022 would prohibit instructional material reviewers from recommending curricula that promote certain concepts related to race or sex. In June 2021, the State Board of Education voted to approve a rule that prohibits schools from teaching critical race theory and the 1619 Project, which again, as we've discussed, is not actually critical race theory. Um. This bill in particular taps into this masquerading as a parent's choice issue. So, like, if parents don't want their children exposed to CRT, then they can sue the school. Like, (laughs) what are we talking about? Um, Also, since when do regular-ass adults know anything about history? So, um, I wanted to go into a little bit about just some of the language in these bills and comparing that to the excellent explanation of critical race theory as a real thing that Kellen gave earlier. Um, So I think the Heritage Foundation, which is one of the right wing think tanks that I mentioned earlier, that's been pushing these bills, 
Um, their website has a lot of great examples of some of the absolute nonsense being thrown around in regards to critical race theory. They have this one page on their site, which is called Try This Critical Race Theory Checklist, which opens with the paragraph, is your school principal denying that her school makes use of critical race theory when you call to complain about it? If so, it's likely that she's either misinformed or just spreading disinformation. Oh my God. I love that the principal is a she in this situation. Right. Obviously. Yeah. Which is a she in parentheses in derogatory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So this article goes on to lay out basically talking points for how to argue with educators who are saying correctly that they're not teaching CRT because like Kellen said, there's no evidence that any elementary school level (laughs) teachers are actually teaching students the real concept called critical race theory. Um, But CRT does inform some educators approach Mm -hmm. to teaching in a way that I think in some moments the Heritage Foundation actually captures very well, though Mm -hmm. they present it as a bad thing. And we obviously think that it's a good thing. Um, In that same article, they write, quote, the first and most important bedrock principle of critical race theory is that racism is not an individual conscious decision to be a racist or act on that belief. No, it's systemic. Racism, according to CRT's purveyors, is written into America's laws, institutions, and capitalist system, unquote. So like, That sounds right to me. Like that seems like a good baseline for teaching about racism. At least it's probably better than the way I was taught about racism in school. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the one thing I would dispute in this definition is the idea that teachers who correctly assert that systemic racism exists then also claim that no individual is ever intentionally racist which would obviously be incorrect. Yeah, I um, just, if, if I can jump in here, Jules, really yeah, quick, just like it. people who are in the world of CRT don't, as Jules was saying, like don't make the argument that no one is intentionally racist. They make the argument that intent doesn't matter that much, that like right. people are both, and I, this is probably not coming as a surprise to anybody that listens, but that like the intentional racist actions of like, you know, whether it's like, someone who's consciously like, I don't want to work with black people. So I'm going to deny this applicant a job or, you know, committing a hate crime, like whatever that those people and those actions are tied into the unconscious actions of people who are, you know, performing racism in much subtler ways. And that all of this is inextricably linked to the racism that's written into laws that is baked into our institutions. Um, And so the Heritage Foundation is like, you know, like Jules said, like not quite there, but actually like pretty close in a lot of ways. Right. Um, Yeah, I think that's that's a really helpful way of explaining that distinction. Thank you, Colin. Anyway, so don't be fooled by the fact that the Heritage Foundation somewhat correctly identified a key part of critical race theory, because in another article on their website, they list the key takeaways about CRT as, quote, critical race theory makes race the prism through which its proponents analyze all aspects of American life. CRT underpins identity politics, which reimagines the U.S. as a nation riven by groups, each with specific claims on victimization, unquote. Um, And this, I would say, is like almost the exact opposite of what critical race theory is actually about, at least the identity politics part. Like, I'm assuming that they're defining identity politics in the typical conservative way of like, 
mentioning any aspect of your individual identity literally ever unless you're a cis white guy. Um, But like Kellen was saying, critical race theory doesn't really focus on the type of interpersonal harm that so-called identity politics often relates to. Um, So I think overall, it's just this really interesting and upsetting mix of like, on the one hand, this outsized fear of actual anti-racist education. And on the other hand, these completely made up ideas and just mixing in like other right-wing boogeymen like identity politics that aren't even really part of what's going on. Um, And I think one result of this and probably even an explicit goal is to confuse people about anti-racist ideas and make them seem scary and all-encompassing in this way that no one theory or framework can really be. Like, critical race theory could not possibly be all of the things that Republicans are claiming that it is. Um, And I think another goal, obviously, is to try to make people scared and angry about their kids' education, which is understandably a charged topic, Mm -hmm. um, and to use this idea of, quote-unquote, protecting children as an excuse to push forward a racist, repressive policy agenda. Um, On that note, there is at least one lawsuit in Oklahoma challenging these types of laws that was filed about six months ago, which argues that this is a First Amendment violation because it literally restricts what teachers are allowed to talk about in this very broad way that seems hard to actually enforce in a way that would be fair, basically. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks for that, Jules. I think that's really, really helpful context. And I just wanted to talk like for a brief moment about, you know, like why this matters um, and like why this is so important. I think Zoe did a good job of bringing up sort of like how this is a good election strategy. Um, But I also wanted to talk about a couple of other things. The first is the importance of the of controlling the way that we teach history. So, for example, um, the right has a vested interest in promoting nationalism. Nationalism is an inherently conservative, you know, ideology. It is much more difficult to promote nationalism if you're like, oh, wow, our nation's like actually pretty fucked up. Um, So just on a basic level, that is like patriotism, inculcating children into that from an early age, Um, makes them more pliable citizens, makes them less likely to question things like borders, like imperialism, like the uh, military industrial complex, all of those things that are benefiting, you know, the the kinds of people that right-wingers are interested in benefiting. Um, And at the same time, I think history can be a really useful tool in an arsenal for um, challenging the status quo. And that's one of the reasons I got interested in history. That's one of the reasons that I think history when taught well, like really captures people's attention and it history can absolutely be radicalizing. And I think the right is extremely aware of that and is, you know, very invested in controlling the way that we teach specifically history for that reason. Um, And I also think it's important to note, and Laura brought this up a bit with the Florida example, that this is also completely tied up in the school choice movement. Like, in other words, efforts by the right to undermine and privatize public education. So there is this idea that is sort of latent in all of the the CRT stuff that parents don't have enough say in their children's education. And this is tied up as well with what Zoe was talking about with the the bills that are like focused on CRT. And also you can opt out or you have to opt in to sex education. Um, More and more parents are trying to foist, 
you know, control of schools away from teachers, teachers unions, basically undermining teachers as workers and pushing more and more towards a privatized system of education in the United States. One in which, you know, charter schools are the norm if we have public education at all um, and both undermining teachers as workers and undermining a like more progressive school system in which resources are evenly distributed, et cetera. So this can't be extricated from that context either. And we haven't talked a lot on this podcast, like, or in this episode specifically about like the school choice movement, but it might be worth like us taking on at some point. Cause it is like really terrifying and important. Um, but we're coming to an end here and I just thought it could be nice to conclude by talking about like actually effective ways that we ourselves were taught about racism, because I think that it has been done. Teachers are doing that work. And I just thought we could like, you know, briefly share our experiences there. So yeah, I, in thinking about all of this feel, especially grateful that my U S history teacher in high school was a black man. Shout out to a real one, Mr. Hollis, Mr. Brian (laughs) Hollis. I actually, this made me like, just look him up on the internet really quick. And it looks like he's still teaching at my high school. So good for him. Um, and we definitely were not learning critical race theory, but we did spend like a solid chunk of that year. Like a lot of the time we were, um, like watching, documentaries about slavery and talking a lot about the like racist history of the U.S. And so Mm. I'm glad that I had that. Like now that I think about it, I'm like, I can't really imagine having a white teacher talking Mm. about U.S. history and like what that would have looked like. Um, And then also in college, my second year of college, I took a class that I think was called like politics of race and gender something like that. (laughs) I don't remember titles, not really relevant. Um, but it was such a good class. Um, the professor was amazing. And one of the main texts we read was this book called the possessive investment in whiteness by um, Daniel Lipsitz. And I highly recommend it. It's really good at looking at the history of the construct of whiteness Mm -hmm. in the U S and, um, all of the various like structural racism around that. And yeah, that's my, I mean, I guess like the main two things that come to mind when talking about this for me. Um, I think for me, like when I think about the way that I learned about race in school, it mostly was not really discussed except in the lens of like interpersonal microaggressions. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like the way that I learned about slavery, for example, in school was very divorced from race in a strange way. Mm. Um, But I guess one thing I wanted to say is like having black family and friends who trusted me to like share experiences of racism that they had had, I think is Mm -hmm. one thing that, from like an earlier age started to like radicalize me um, around race specifically. And I think to a lesser extent, some sort of like niche, not even really racism, but sort of like xenophobia that I experienced at my very white private school where I was one of the only Latina kids there and just got Mm -hmm. a lot of weird shit around that. Um, I think in terms of like academic texts and like classes that I was in um one really important book for me has been Racecraft by Barbara and Karen Fields I'm doing um, like a fist pump here yes absolute banger of a text and I mm-hmm. think really like for me gave name to a lot of feelings that I had been having around like 
ways that non-Black people can be targets of anti-Black racism or like racialized violence, even though they are not the intended targets necessarily um, or the main targets. Um, And I think um, other authors that have been important for me are Ruth Wilson Gilmore and Kimberly Crenshaw. Um, Kimberly Crenshaw is one of the legal scholars whose work has been really foundational to critical race theory. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Longtime listeners will not be surprised by (laughs) uh, my public school experience was not one that brought race into the conversation other than like in those kind of acute ways like um, Mm. Jules was talking about. Um, And not only that, but our global history, which was um, freshman and sophomore year of high school, was completely Eurocentric. Yeah. Um, there there was never anything taught that wasn't from the perspective of the colonizer. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think that that obviously ties into all of this as well. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, and I didn't start delving into kind of what structural racism is until I was in college. And mm-hmm. um, because my, one of my minors was in like a political history type thing, Um there was a lot of that. And I remembered I like wrote an email to my high school history teacher being like, why did you not teach us about this when you were trying mm-hmm. to when you were telling us about global history, mm-hmm. which is classic me, actually. But um, I do want to talk about a tool that you can do right now, anytime um, and you can and do it as a group and hold each other accountable or do it by yourself. It's really great. Um, it's a uh workbook called um me and white supremacy and it's by Layla f sod and it really goes through all the ways that white supremacy shows up in our society and within ourselves and it comes with a lot of readings that help understand the way that history shows up in our personal lives as well yeah i love these are we're recommending these are like frequent season of the bitch recommendations uh so um love that we're hitting all of our our greats right now um i mean on my part i think similar to laura i didn't learn a lot about racism in high school i had to do a lot of that teaching myself to myself like for myself um But there was, you know, as like, you know, a kid, like trying to learn about the history of racism, there's just stuff that you miss. You don't know where to look for for resources. So like I didn't learn about redlining until literally in my sophomore year of college when I was in like an African-American studies class and a professor like started talking about it. And I just like could not I not that I couldn't believe it, but I felt like my brain was being like blasted open because I was like, how the fuck like this is the the reason why like our cities look the way that they do today like is like specifically related to this very important history that like we're just not talking about it doesn't come up and like when we do the 20th century in u.s history classes in in high school it's just like well we had world war one then we had world war two there's depression and there was vietnam and And there was the civil rights movement that solved racism like i think that that is a key part of like the the thing too because that's why it's so mind-blowing when we learned those things in college right like that's why like even though we weren't necessarily surprised it's like you because the brainwashing was like Mm -hmm. the civil rights movement happened and now (laughs) here we are yeah it's like yeah oh my god totally so yeah, I just like shout out to my professors in college who did 
some serious work educating me and um i'm really really thankful for them um and for their patience with me as like a kid who was trying to learn but who probably fucked up a lot so anyway shout out to great educators y'all are doing the work um if you like the kind of educating that we're doing on this podcast you can head to our patreon we're at patreon.com slash season of the bitch um we are also on twitter and instagram at season of the b you can email us at season of the b at gmail.com um you can always rate review and subscribe but like only review us if you're going to send us good reviews like Five you know stars. don't be an enemy of the pod um and uh yeah i think that about covers it anything else y'all want to add no all right well well love love you love you you. bye. bye season of the bitch